Grindr's New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Peter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jamal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Zach. Friday edition. It's Friday edition. How you doing, man? I you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna talk about me right now. How is Charleston? <laughs> I, want, I want all the deets. Charleston was good. It's like it's, it feels like a world away at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh but it was it was good. It was really fun. I'm still pretty tired though. Oh, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. You know, it was it a, lot. a lot. Out of Drink you, those a lot. Festivals. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's like those festivals go. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's, there's, you know, food festivals are really booze festivals. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Like, there's never enough food, never. <laughs> or the lines are, you know, like a thousand people deep. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to wait in that line. But hey, the beer line has two people in it. It's <laughs> there. There's just never enough food at food festivals ever. It doesn't matter if you're at like the a bespoke tiny event that's part of the food festival you're at the grand tasting you're even at like a signature dinner like there's just never seems like there's enough food mm-hmm. but the alcohol is always flowing and i feel like that's just something that i don't know if that can be fixed it's it's not and it's like it's not an issue of one festival versus, it's all festivals well, i've I think never it's like seen you're, festivals you're paying for a ticket food. right and then yeah. it feels like it's got to be worth worthwhile and i th- i feel like alcohol's a, an easy way to do that well and i also think that you know, with these festivals, a lot of the chefs become very precious, which mm. they should. But then, like, for example, we were interviewing uh, Michael Shemtov, who owns Butcher and B. I was talking to him after, and he was saying, like, at the the James Beard nominated Butcher and B, mm-hmm. that, you know, that basically at the events they took part in, they're really particular about, like, everything must be served as it comes out because yeah, exactly. they want it to be hot. Mm-hmm. So they're not preparing anything ahead of time. Which it takes longer. means it takes longer, which yep. means the line gets longer, which means there's not enough food, mm-hmm. right? Because you're waiting for like that one bite because yeah. they think you're judging them and their restaurant on that one sure, bite, right? Yeah, you may be someone who never went to any of his restaurants before. So you're literally gonna be like, if this is good or sucks, then the restaurant must be good or sucks. Mm. And so I think that makes all of this really hard, mm-hmm. right? Like, you t- basically what you have to do is when you think of a food festival, take the kind of service you're used to and the food you're used to at a wedding <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. then just like expand it out times a thousand. And but that's even worse, it. I think, than a wedding setting is you also run into this issue I've, I've experienced at food festivals that I've been to where like so many of the of the restaurants, the chefs, et cetera, are trying to make an impression with like really flavorful, fatty, kind of like high intensity dishes. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it's just a little bite and you kind of are like – God, like everything is just like so rich, so so heavy, and it kind of it kind of just is like not only are you you're like both hungry and like disgustingly full at the same time, which is like not a great feeling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also yeah. I mean, you also see you also see like the largest lines are people waiting though for the meat yeah. always, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. always, and like you kind of you kind of crush it if you are the you know you're the stand that does the vegetarian or the vegan stuff right. which actually that's uh butcher and b does yeah yep. that's what mm-hmm. they do which i thought was cool um well to be clear it was very fun it was, it was very a great fun. festival it was we very a great fun time it's a great festival we'll take part in it again next year mm-hmm. uh I, you know I, I think it's a great festival it's just it's it's funny how you they're know, just hard to do they're hard to do yeah. and i think they're they're probably one of the better you know they're one of the best ones in the country they pull it off really well mm-hmm. um but it's just the nature of it right it's just it's hard mm-hmm. um so this coming week is you know kind of kicks off spring drinking i want to say or mm-hmm. and, and i mean it's 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 saint patty's day mm-hmm. it's saint patty's day yeah, yeah we're talking I mean, green beer oh no wait no just <laughs> rivers that are dyed greens in parts of america lots of guinness 
Yeah. My, my goodness, my Guinness. <laughs> uh, I think Guinness is a great beer, by the way. I know we're not talking I about agree. that today, but like, what a great beer. We should be yeah. talking about that. Yeah, I saw <laughs> saw someone on TikTok like showing how to pour a perfect pint, and they showed themselves pouring it out. Oh. And, like, that's how they pour a perfect pint. And I was like, <laughs> you just, then you don't know how to appreciate nice things. <laughs> because Guinness is a good beer. It's a really good beer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, St. Patrick's Day, I think, is, is one of those. Look, it's not... Cinco de Mayo, right? Cinco de Mayo really is like the big holiday in the Drinking spring when holiday, people drink. Sure, yeah. uh, you know, tequila's like, it's our time, baby. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, St. Patrick's Day is a really fun holiday that lots of people take part in. I will never forget one of my best St. Patrick's Day memories of all time in New York City. You guys want to hear it? Of course. Of course. Okay. So we were in Hell's Kitchen. I think Keith knows this story. And uh, we were in Hell's Kitchen. Naomi was living there at the time. And one of our really good friends, Dion, was with us as well. And we went to this random Irish pub because we couldn't figure out where to go. We're like, we got to go somewhere that feels like it's an Irish pub. So we're going to go to some random Irish pub. And we go to this random <laughs> Irish pub. And I don't know. I mean, it was kind of off Times Square. Ooh. It was, yeah, but it was really crowded. <laughs> and we were in this, like, small, tiny, like, side room. And in walks these two huge bodyguards. Mm-hmm. And behind them walks in a green dress, looking stunning, Mariah fucking Carey. What? Wow! And she just has a seat in the booth with like her bodyguards and her friend, and they're drinking <laughs> pints. And I'm like, oh my god! She, I guess, decided she wanted to go out as well, and for some reason is at this bar. And so Dion, being who he he, he is, which is a hilarious human being, <laughs> was like, oh my god, I see a jukebox over there, and it's an internet jukebox. I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> So he gets up, he goes to the jukebox, puts in a song, and he comes back and he's just giggling. I'm like, what the fuck did you do? And he goes, you'll see, you'll see. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm song number three. So you know the song's coming through, we're hanging out. And then all of a sudden, he just jumps up and screams at the top of his lungs as All I Want for Christmas is You comes on. This is for you, Mariah! Oh, no. <laughs> and, oh. and it starts, like, then the entire bar then realizes she's there because no one else has realized she's there. It gets absolutely insane. And her bodyguard gets up and unplugs the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> totally blew up her spot. Totally blew up her oh. spot. I thought they you were going to get a live performance. That <laughs> was, really it was so hilarious. Uh, it was, like, probably best St. Patrick's Day ever. Um <laughs> But St. Patrick's Day also, you know, I think helps to refocus a or, you know, shine a light on focus our energies on Irish whiskey, Mm -hmm. which seems to be booming recently. Um, What are both of your takes on Irish whiskey? Are you Irish whiskey drinkers? Not not really. (laughs) (laughs) Not a big JMO fan? No, no. Yeah, no. Um, But I I can't really remember the last time I had Irish whiskey. It's definitely not something I, I look for. And I know that. I know from articles on our website yeah. <laughs> that it is it is growing quite rapidly, um, and it's you know a lot of people think that it's going to be you know it's chasing scotch or whatever the next scotch the, the next, next scotch. the next scotch so so I think that's really fascinating which is why I thought we could talk about it today because some people here have <laughs> predicted Irish whiskey as a big trend for this year. Who's that person? Yes, let's go back in time to the distant <laughs> days of December 2021. A young Zach Jabal on this very <laughs> podcast predicted just a little that, more uh, hair. She would be a, yeah. I was I was younger to be fair before my birthday. Uh, predicted a uh, a big year in 2022 for Irish whiskey, which is so far coming true to, to as far as we can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's on the back of a pretty strong 2021. Um, 
and and I think that you know I don't want to just repeat what I said then, although I'll, I'll you know kind of paraphrase quickly. But I think first to your your question, Adam, I do actually drink a, a decent amount of Irish whiskey. I, I've always found um, it to be a category that I enjoy. Not not specifically Jameson or, or Bushmills or some of the kind of most well known and widely distributed um, Irish whiskeys, but some of the other stuff um, I've always been, or always, I guess, since I was first introduced to have been a fan of um, what goes on at Teeling, which is a distillery Mm -hmm. actually in Dublin, Um, Green Spot, another uh, distillery that I like quite a lot. And Mm. I think that what, what I like about the category and the style is, and I think this is maybe plays into some of its appeal in some ways, is that it has it definitely shares some uh, some DNA uh, with with uh, Scotch with single malt whiskey from Scotland and and maybe single malt from the world over and there are Irish single malts that you can go out and find some of which are really cool mm-hmm. but but in the blended category in particular I think what's interesting about it is it doesn't it, it doesn't have a flavor profile that is as easy to define as bourbon for sure or even Canadian uh, whiskey or, mm-hmm. or, or or even rye. But it does have that kind of delightful to me mix of a touch of sweetness. But more than anything, it, I think that you in Ireland, you see in Irish whiskeys, you see a lot of use of um, casks in the way that Scotland uses them, mm-hmm. you know, mixed use casks, some that are new, some that are old without some of the same restrictions, right? Irish whiskey is not as um, as sort of bound to a specific style the way that Scotch is um, in terms of its rule set. It's just not quite as... Um, restrictive and i think that in our modern landscape there there's there's pluses and minuses to that right i mean scotland and scotch have a have in some ways a defined style to fall back on and while of course there are any number of different kinds of expressions of single malt that you can find in scotland depending on uh you know where on the uh in scotland the uh, barley comes from where the distillery is the size of the stills the water blah 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 there's all these different things you know whether they're using peat etc and and Irish whiskey has some of those components. It, it doesn't always emphasize some of them. Mm-hmm. But what it does have is still this kind of very northerly climate, um, this sort of cool, um, general kind of growing conditions and and, dist- and sort of distillery conditions, I guess you would say, um, aging conditions, and, and a spirit that is more, in some ways, more delicate than a lot of scotch, but is also very clearly not. Um, something that you see produced very often in the U.S. I don't know. That's that's a little bit broad. I apologize, but I but I do think that there's something about its kind of balance and its sort of lightness that I find uh, particularly appealing. It's a shooting whiskey, and that is well, where I think it's. That's why I think it's growing, and I mean that's what the data shows. Oh, see, that's what I wanted to ask though. Like, don't you think that, like, it has kind of an Irish Irish whiskey has an uphill battle with regard to yes. like prestige, right? Yes, one hundred percent, and that's where I think. Like it needs a bit of rebranding. Um, yes. So I think, look, we've done this story multiple times on you know on the site. I've done a deeply reported story on it. Tim Tim's has, done it in the past. Yeah. What always gets uncovered uh, is that yes, Irish whiskey is growing as a broad category, mm-hmm. but the the growth driver continues to be Jameson, Jameson and Jameson clones. Mm-hmm. Proper Twelve is a Jameson clone, right? It's right. it yep. is a shooting whiskey. Tell no one more do. Yeah, right? they are they are shooting whiskeys, mm-hmm. and I think that there is this excitement amongst enthusiasts who do see mm-hmm. that at the high end of Irish whiskey, there's so much potential that they they are like, oh my god, it's happening, it's happening, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that case has been strongly enough made to the person who also appreciates 
very long aged scotch and very long aged bourbon right. that they should appreciate very long aged Irish whiskey. I agree with Zach that I find, you know, long aged Irish whiskey delightful. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of really amazing characteristics about it, especially if you are someone for whom the scotches you prefer are more of like the Highland malts and things like that, that are not, not peated, that, not peated right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's the beauty of Irish whiskey is that it's not peated. Mm-hmm. So you, you get like these much more, you know, grain forward, uh, profiles that are really 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 great and don't mm-hmm. i guess i don't want to say delightful again but they're <laughs> delightful um and so but you know i think it's the it's that same appeal that makes it such an incredible whiskey to shoot mm-hmm. because poured straight into that that shot glass with your beer with your friends taking shots of jamo is very easy i mean and bartenders mm-hmm. love it that's i mean and jameson's done a really amazing job at continuing to market to and in and support not cocktail bars but dive bars right. local bars it's like the jägermeister thing right exactly mm-hmm. and that has made their brand incredibly powerful yeah and you know there's other brands that have tried to copy that some are being a little bit successful like i said proper 12 especially if you have an awareness for you know uh conor mcgregor and things like that Mm -hmm. but if you don't then jameson is still the whiskey uh and i don't see jameson really pushing their high-end whiskeys on the american market that often especially through marketing dollars right Mm -hmm. they i think they're around but it's not the, I mean, they own the airwaves, the the digital, et cetera, during the month of March. I mean, they mm-hmm. this is it's them and Guinness that people think is what's yeah. what Irish is. Right, you right. know, yeah, it's really really interesting. Um, I, I can't I remember know. which article I was reading, but um, it said that newer brands are aiming for premium, like the newer yeah. Irish whiskey brands are aiming for premium and above to change the perception of the category, and I think that's very interesting. I think. I think they're aiming for premium for a few reasons, but I think the biggest one is because that's where the white space is, mm-hmm. right? So, right. you yeah. know, it's it just, it's it's almost impossible to go against a brand that is this entrenched and has this much dollar, has this much dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like saying, hey, I'm going to create the next great light beer that's going to be a higher seller than Bud Light. Like, it's just not going to happen at this point, you mm-hmm. know? They have such a large marketing muscle, such large brand awareness. Like that's not where the opportunity is. Mm-hmm. The opportunity was with Seltzer and that's exactly what Mark Anthony brands did. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they jumped in and saw that AB and Bev was like fucking up their hard Seltzer brand, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And we're like, look, we're going to, we see that there's potential for this same demographic of people, just a younger age group to show them something different. And I think the question is going to be, yeah, are we able to convince the next generation, there's always going to be a generation that wants easy drinking whiskey, mm. but that they want higher end easy drinking whiskey. Is that where, or is it going to be convincing? Because I'm not sure you're ever going to transition someone who's already currently a high end scotch drinker, that they should also be collecting high end expensive Irish whiskey. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. You know, well, mm-hmm. you know I, I, the one thing I will say, and this came up when we discussed this in the predictions episode a few months ago, is. We are entering in this world now where where if you are someone who had maybe you weren't an absolute like top of the market uh, scotch collector, but you were someone right. for whom scotch was was a big part of your drinking life. Well, you've seen even the prices of I mean, not that these were ever like super affordable, but like Macallan 12 is really 
you know, jumping up there in price to say nothing of any older expressions of McAllen mm. or, um, you know, pick whatever, you know, Talisker or Oban or whatever, like all of these kind of good, but not crazy expensive scotches have dramatically increased in price over the last mm-hmm. decade. Um, not as dramatically as like the top, very top of the market, but they've still increased a lot. And you're, and, or you're seeing, you know, distilleries put out uh, expressions with lower age statements or no age statements because they just don't have the older product on hand. And, I think that to to an American collector in particular, or an American drinker in particular, Ireland might not carry the same reputation for absolute quality that Scotland does. Again, for a lot of people, Irish whiskey is synonymous with, as you've said, Adam Jameson, um, mm-hmm. or maybe you know Bushmills or Redbreast or a few other brands. But but the point is, you know, it's mostly thought of in those categories. But it's still thought of as a as a whiskey country. I mean, we associate whiskey with Ireland very strongly, and, and rightly so. And so the notion that there are quality distilleries there, people making premium product is, I think, not as hard to sell as even like, frankly, talking to some people who are in the distilling uh, industry in the United States outside of Kentucky, you know, it can be a hard sell to convince, you know, people that American distilleries are are producing product on quality on par with, you know, say, uh, the British Isles. And, and so I think that there is an opportunity for Ireland there, and Irish mm-hmm. distilleries. And I also think that, you know, we're in this place, too, where, you know, we really we are still just figuring out in some ways what this increased interest in spirits among millennials and Gen Z drinkers is going to mean for these categories long term. I think some of what you're saying is 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 probably true, Adam. But what happens to someone who exposed to Jameson as a or, or Irish whiskey as a shooting whiskey when they're 21 to 25? Well, when they reach 30, which is maybe this year, maybe four years from now, et cetera. As they as their drinking habits change to somewhat somewhat, but their their category preferences don't, you know, being in that space already, having established yourself as either um, a higher end version of some of those products or a, a higher end competitor, I guess, is I think maybe a valuable place to be. And I think that's where we are seeing some of this growth. It's not necessarily with the sixty five year old Scotch drinker. No, it's not with a thirty year old thirty year old drinker who, you know, has always liked Irish whiskey and says, you know what, well maybe this time I want you know, a $50 bottle instead of a $20 bottle. I, I Look, I think it's, I think that that's where the possibility exists. Mm-hmm. The issue is going to be, it's going to take a decade and it's going to take investment. Mm-hmm. And it's because with the premiumization of the Irish whiskey category also has to come the prestige that you get from drinking that premium right. product, right? It's a we, branding thing. Right. We yeah. talked about this, right? It's, a lot of pe- no one, a lot of people are not drinking the Macallan because it's their favorite scotch. It's because the Macallan says you're successful, you've achieved things, mm-hmm. you know, you're moving forward in your life, and you know that that great consulting gig you've gotten is, you, you know, is part and parcel with drinking Macallan, mm-hmm. right? So what are who what are those brands going to be that are Ir- the Irish whiskeys? Is it going to be Yellow Spot and Green Spot? Maybe mm-hmm. like is it going to be? Uh, Kilbegan or some of these other sort of, you know, Irish whiskeys that are trying really hard to be seen as super high end mm-hmm. potentially, but that takes a decade mm-hmm. to reinforce. And I, I do think it could be this decade, right? It could be these people, this young cohort that is really into Irish whiskey that is starting to spend more money. And maybe it's, it's, it's marketing to them. But again, this, this keeps coming back to these conversations we have where it's, it's paying attention to them. And it is saying, you yeah, know, we're not going to focus at all on, the people that already have chosen their whiskeys of choice, right? Right. It's not going to be them. It can't be them. I also think the, I mean, we mentioned the proper 12 thing in the Conor McGregor, um, you know, that's his brand or it was his brand, Mm -hmm. I suppose. But like 
maybe it will take more celebrities coming to the category to draw people to it and to feel like it has that kind of clout and to say like I drink Irish whiskey and that's like what Conor McGregor drinks. Yeah. And all you have yeah. to do is Mariah look at Carey, the... there's an opportunity for you. Totally. There you go. Wait, doesn't she have an <laughs> doesn't she have an Irish cream or something? She does. Okay. <laughs> and but look, all you have to do is look at the demographics of UFC fighter, you know, people who watch UFC, yeah. it's young men, mm-hmm. you know, it's young Gen Z and millennial men that watch this stuff. Yeah. So if and, you're shooting Jameson, then maybe the next uh, Irish whiskey you're going to drink is Conor McGregor's Irish right. whiskey. Right. And then yeah. maybe the next one you go from there is something that either he does that's high end or that is just a high end thing that's brought to this group of, of young men. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. what, you know, just the, the an easy way in. Um, but, you know, enough about Irish whiskey. Let's drink some of it. <laughs> More about Irish whiskey. Uh, enough about uh, about the business side of Irish whiskey because because it is basically almost St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a bottle of JMO here. Do you have a bottle of JMO there? <laughs> I do. Any I special do. one? You got the you got traditional JMO. Oh, I got the I got the traditional bottle. Triple distilled. The classic. The classic. <laughs> uh, when's this the last was, time you guys was... have had this? <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. Definitely one of the last, one of my last, uh, one of my last service shifts in a restaurant. Uh, Jameson was always one of the the kitchen favorites, maybe unsurprisingly. Uh, and there was definitely a round mm. of Jameson after one late pre and pre full onslaught of the pandemic shift. So probably, why, it's been wh- two years now, I guess. Why do we, uh, why did Jameson take off the way it did? I mean, I think it's, it, the flavor profile is really accessible. There is a very large population in the U.S. of Irish Americans. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of there is a very amazing. Uh, there's been a lot of studies written about this, but like there's there's an amazing proliferation in the U.S. of Irish pubs, mm-hmm. um, right. and that feel like you're in Ireland. And there's a whole article we have on the site if you're curious about the family in Ireland that actually like manufacture that around the world. Like they mm-hmm. actually. They figured out how to design these pubs and then basically bring them to everywhere around the world and make the bench and everything feel all the same, which is really crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you have those. And then you have sort of what I was saying earlier, which is their amazing dedication to just the bar community and especially mm-hmm. to neighborhood bars. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not – Jameson is not pushing – I'm sure that there is part of their strategy for this to be in a cocktail. Yeah. But like th- that is not. They don't need it. It is it's support for the neighborhood bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I that's think just, the other it's a piece huge thing. Is, it's always come across as very unpretentious as a spirit. Yeah. Right. And Super for, unpretentious. And for people who are frequenting yeah, neighborhood bars, dive bars, who who work in the you know food and beverage trade, and especially you know in kitchens, but in, in you know in the front of the house as well, bartenders, etc. You know. There's a lot of appeal to a spirit that is, uh, you know, well made is 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 easy drinking and is and carries, you know, it's a it's a you know, it's it, it's a badge of of a certain kind of like I'm not I'm not fussy, but, you know, and of course, yeah. you know, as we talked about, I think before in the in sort of the realities of dive bars, like spirits where you can, you know, where you can trust the bottle and you don't need the bartender to do any more than pour it in a glass is a you know they're always going to do well in those settings because there's there's you know you're just not going to order a mixed drink very often or certainly a cocktail in in that kind of setting and and yeah. um you know the thing is like Jameson has been affordable right it's been you know yeah. relatively relatively affordable compared to you know most other whiskeys on the market that aren't you know you're sort of well whiskey it's it's a recognizable brand but it isn't doesn't come in at the same you know price tag as as even you know a, a relatively 
lower end bourbon would, for example. So, I mean, the profile on this is so interesting. I don't think I've smelled Jameson this long ever in my life. Yeah. You, I've always been handed it, you know, in like a tiny shot glass. Yeah, it's a shot glass. Oh. Like, you know, but like, it's really sweet. Mm-hmm. It smells like sweet yeah. cereal and like honey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like very little burn. Yeah. That's ripple distillation, buddy. It does it for you. Joanna aerated a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It is. I mean, like, and I was just looking at this. It's stuff. easy to drink. I mean, it's it's four. It's eighty proof. It's forty percent alcohol. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not. Is it's it doesn't have that sort of barrel proof burn that all right. these bourbons have. It's an easy shooting whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a few shots of it while you drink some beers with your friends. That's why people like it, you know. And I yeah. just, it's it's amazing that as much as whiskey is moving premium there still is this huge, huge market for whiskey like this. Um, I would yeah. argue on the bourbon side too, you know, mm-hmm. um, where people want the whiskeys that they can pour over ice, that they can shoot straight. Yeah, and, and Jameson does a great job. Yeah, I feel like every generation pass, passes through Jameson. Everyone. And then m- many just don't let it go. Right, don't let it go. Or they yeah. all, or they come back to it with certain occasions, right? Birthday parties, JMO right. shots, yeah. like yeah. that. JMO shots, always, mm. always. Yeah. Yes, hot take, Zach. Let's go. <laughs> so, d- despite our discussion earlier about the close association for St. Patrick's Day with both Jameson and Guinness, I don't think they go very well together. Oh. I don't think people do a shot and a beer with those two things. Hot take. Uh, I think a lot of people do. I think a you, lot really? a lot of people who don't drink either regularly will absolutely on on St. Patrick's Day order both and oh, okay. not regret it cuz they're both good, but will <laughs> think eh like Jameson pairs better with with a like a like a lighter beer. It just is true. Mm-hmm. It, you, yeah. you I don't think it goes super well with with Guinness, which is delicious for sure. Um, but is I just not to me a pairing I particularly care for. So what are you like more of a like a Bailey's Guinness guy? I mean, if you're gonna do it, you should do it that way. That's my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I or I, drink or drink you know or drink uh, you know Guinness and, and another Irish beer. It's not. Or I'm sorry, I drink Jameson and another Irish beer. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that Both Jameson are. does go well with you know honestly, I, and I've, they've done this pretty successfully too. They've had a lot of really great. Um, partnerships with craft breweries mm-hmm. i think they go really mm-hmm. well with ipas and you yeah. know sort of the craft loggers and stuff like that i mean i will i will say i think the majority of the time i'm out in new york city and i see people drinking jameson with beer it's not guinness same um it's yeah. something else but maybe but yes yeah, so on st patrick's day sure. okay. but again like we all i mean who goes out on single to mine i was like you know what i'm really in the mood for an old-fashioned Right. You know, like everyone goes out on the same day. It's like I would like a margarita, please, and tequila. Like right. that's what people do because Americans are basic. Uh, so you know, that's Whoa, just what we do. There's the real hot take. Damn, yeah. Same thing for you the could, very end. Come on, we know that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I mean, just uh, for the whole country on blast. Sure, sounds good. Hell yeah! Uh, but I hope you guys both have a amazing weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, cheers to St. Patrick's Day, and I'll see you Monday. Talk to you Monday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. 
VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.